Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back, or welcome to another episode of Warden's Wisdom. I'm your host, Jimmy Warden. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the neurotransmitter dopamine, and specifically talking about, you know, what is the deal with dopamine? And this is actually going to be part one of what I anticipate to be a three-part series. And in this specific part, I'm going to be discussing what dopamine is, how it actually affects some of the decisions that we make, how it actually has an influence on whether we feel joy or disappointment, and how there are actually two different types of dopamine that influence our decision making. And so I really am looking forward to this episode to give you folks some more information in regards to that and really hopefully will help you to understand why you do some of the things that you do. Um, I know that it definitely has helped me understand why I do some of the things that I do. So that's my hope for coming out with this three-part series about dopamine and starting with part one today. Uh, and Before we get into today's episode, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. And after that, you will be able to enjoy a break-free experience. Now, you may have heard of dopamine before. You may know it as the pleasure molecule or the neurotransmitter that causes addiction. You may also know it as the impulsive voice in your head that's telling you to partake in a destructive behavior because of the immediate gratification that it provides. No matter how you know dopamine and how you understand dopamine, after listening a bit more in this podcast and subsequent podcasts, my hope is that you have an even better understanding about how it is responsible for all the aforementioned ideas that I just stated uh, and much, much more. So first, it's a great point to start at in terms of you know talking about what is dopamine. So it is a neurotransmitter in the brain that fires signals from the brain to the rest of the body when we anticipate something that we desire. Dopamine is also considered the molecule of more because it also fires when we desire more of something, whether it be more money, more sex, more food, more leisure, a bigger house, a better car, anything associated with the idea of more or better. When we desire these things, it is dopamine that is engineering that desire. Now, dopamine also fires in the face of novel experiences, and it is future-oriented. So when we imagine a future outcome and what that experience might be like, dopamine is what creates that feeling of excitement that we get from the imagined experience. This excitement that we're experiencing from something new can be attributed to the anticipation of what might happen next. This is why we get excited for new experiences, such as road trips and other forms of travel. This excitement is heightened when we travel somewhere completely new because of how novel the experience is and the fact that there is a strong potential of discovering something new. And dopamine is also part of a desire circuit in our brain, hence why it is also thought of as the desire molecule, in addition to being thought of as both the pleasure molecule or the molecule of more. Our desire circuit is actually very, very primitive in its nature, and it often overpowers our ability to reason and think rationally. And this circuit originated from our primitive ancestors about 200,000 years ago because these ancestors always desired food. 
and they always desired food because they were constantly, constantly on the brink of starvation. And the desire circuit is located in the midbrain, kind of right around this area. Uh, and this midbrain area is also known as our primal brain or our reptilian brain. That is, and it is responsible for survival mechanisms and keeping us alive. And specifically, uh, the desire circuit is located in the ventral tegmental area of the midbrain. And this area connects to the nucleus accumbens, which is right around here. And the nucleus accumbens is what we know of as motivation. Now, motivation, right, has a very, very heavy influence on the decisions we make. So because motivation has a very heavy influence on the decisions we make, therefore, Dopamine also has a very heavy influence on the decisions that we make because it's really all about this concept of desire. And desire has an effect on our decision making in a couple of ways. First and foremost, it is much more powerful and stronger than willpower. So it makes us make impulsive decisions. This is a big reason why people end up having addictions and it's a big reason why it's hard to create or replace habits because it first whatever it is what whatever the decision is it starts first as an impulsive decision and then the more that that behavior is repeated it becomes a habit and in some cases this habit becomes an addiction no matter how strong our willpower is eventually there will be a point where our willpower is rendered useless against some of our stronger desires especially if there's an element or multiple elements of addictions attached to that desire. Now, considering that willpower only lasts so long, the more that someone is exposed to their addiction or the habit that they're trying to replace or eliminate, the more likely it is that that person will end up caving into their desire. And this is the primitive part of our brain that is very hard to reason with. Another way that desire affects decision-making is that it's also more powerful than liking something. This means that the pursuit of something is more engaging than the thing that we are pursuing. This is why drugs become addicting, and pursuing things that we don't currently have, like cars or money, becomes enthralling, and not to mention other things like gambling. It's this chase that hooks us not the item itself, it's the chase that hooks us. And a great example that I can actually give you from my own life is I had to get a phone, a new phone last year because my other one was damaged to the point where I could no longer use it. Once my phone was broken, so once I noticed that I, there was no use for it anymore, I immediately had a strong desire for a new one because of all the things that I felt like I was missing out on. So the new game for me became to pursue that new phone. That was the new game that I was playing, pursue a phone. However, once I had my new phone in my possession, it really wasn't even joy that I experienced, but rather I already was on to the next phase of the phone initiation by checking to make sure all of my data had transferred. Sure, I felt a, a sense of relief once I had it in my, the new phone in my possession, but, you know, and that could be thought of as a form of joy, which it is, but that feeling quickly dissolved as the power came on for my new phone. 
because I immediately started checking all my photo files and all my contacts in anticipation that all of the information transferred. But when I realized that not everything was there, I felt a little disappointed. And there's a big reason why that is, why I felt that disappointment. And the reason why I felt that disappointment was because there was this concept that had just manifested uh, and it's called reward prediction error. So despite the fact that I had this $1,000 piece of technology in my hand, I was still disappointed because of reward prediction error. And reward prediction error is actually a gap between our future perception of a reward and the reward itself. So what that means is that I was subconsciously predicting a greater feeling of joy in anticipation of the new phone than the actual feeling that I received. So there was a gap between what I predicted I would experience when I received it and what I actually experienced. So I had really high levels of dopamine flowing in the anticipation of this new item, but once I received it and I interpreted it to be not as good as I thought, this rush of dopamine was instantly slowed down. And this is what caused the feeling of disappointment. That's why I felt disappointed. It didn't feel as good to get the phone as I had predicted, mostly due to the fact that there were some things missing in its files. And one thing that we as humans are always doing, whether we're aware of it or not, is that we're always predicting outcomes, both consciously and subconsciously, about the future outcomes in many different aspects of our lives. So we anticipate the feelings that we'll experience when that outcome eventually occurs. When that feeling isn't as good as we predicted, we feel disappointment or perhaps frustration. And when the feeling is as good, or sometimes it might even be better than we predicted, we tend to feel joy or elation. And some examples that a lot of people have probably experienced involve, you know, maybe going to a going to a new restaurant or going to see a new movie, you know, because those people are all excited about the new novel experience of a new movie or visiting a new restaurant. But sometimes these experiences don't end up being as good as we expected. So we leave the movie theater or we leave the restaurant disappointed when it's not as good. Other times it actually ends up being better than we expected. And so we'll leave the theater or restaurant happy, satisfied, excited, wanting to tell other people about what a great experience that we had. It was even better than we thought. Now, both of those examples, feeling both the disappointment because it's not as good as you had predicted, and then also feeling that happiness because it was better than you were predicting, that is reward prediction error in action. And again, it involves a high, it involves a gap between the dopamine that we anticipate and then the dopamine that we actually experience. And this concept actually applies to a lot of other areas in our lives, but specifically in, in new relationships, it is very relevant. And those relationships, again, specifically that are intimate in nature, uh, both because they both com they combine both the desire aspect of dopamine with reward prediction error. So there's a level of desire that's involved in the pursuit of a new relationship and even within the early stages of the relationship. 
It is a new and novel experience, so there's a lot of dopamine flowing through us during those early stages, which is what some people often refer to as the honeymoon phase, where both parties are so infatuated with the newness of the relationship that they're blind to any aspects of the relationship that may make it a non-compatible one. And eventually, the, the burning desire in this new relationship begins to fade, and then the parties become more aware of the fact that the relationship itself may not be as great as they had previously thought. And this is a big reason uh, why many relationships do not make it past that 12 to 18 month time frame, because that is the approximate amount of time for that desire to run its course and for reward prediction error to really start to settle in when we start to kind of see some of those more finer flaws in our partners and not even and not even just that but also um, there are other other reasons too that when we when we have an idea of of the future you know we we have this ideal that we think it it should be and when it when it doesn't reach that when it doesn't reach that idealness then we tend to feel disappointed because we, we predicted it to be better than it actually was. And because there's a lot of future-related orientation uh, with dopamine, let's now talk a little bit about, let's segue a little bit into uh, the two different types of dopamine because we've talked a little bit already about uh, desire dopamine, which is the type that we think of as that impulse, right? That impulsive voice, the impulsive decisions that we make. It's usually in the pursuit of something that we want in that moment, right then and there. However, there is also another form of dopamine that has a head on its shoulders, um, theoretically speaking, figuratively speaking. And it's actually responsible for our long-term planning, our goal setting, and any calculations that we might need to be making in regards to our lives. And this form of dopamine is properly named control dopamine. And just like there, we have a desire circuit in our midbrain. There's actually also a control circuit that houses control dopamine. And this area of the brain flows to our frontal lobes right around this area. And specifically to our prefrontal cortex, again, right around this area, so that we can make informed decisions. And this control circuit area is the origin of where willpower develops and it helps to set us up for success in the future. And the way that it helps to set us up for future success is by giving us the ability to plan long term. And considering that willpower only lasts so long, it is extremely crucial that we develop a well thought out plan if we want to make some long term long term changes in our lives that actually stick. Otherwise, we'll fall by the wayside to our desires and to desire dopamine. And this is actually a big reason why 12-step programs, cognitive behavioral therapy, and motivational enhancement therapy work out really well because they are well-thought-out plans that are also backed in the brain science of trying to use controlled dopamine to manipulate our ideal future and specifically again by understanding how dopamine affects the decisions that we make not just in the moment but also in the long term where with these different programs the 12 step 
CBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and MET, motivational enhancement therapy. These are all different, different ways of creating that ideal future that we really want and you trying to harness that control dopamine so that we can execute in the moment to then be able to set ourselves up and take steps towards that long-term long-term goal that we've set for ourselves now and the way that these different programs can and we'll say uh really incorporate that aspect of control dopamine you know first the the 12-step program it, it gives the users a very if, if you're in a 12-step program it gives the users a very specific long-term plan by you know completing those 12 steps for recovery you know once that's completed right that's that's the plan that you have to follow through on and that's again made with controlled dopamine and they combine that aspect of knowing that there's going to be controlled dopamine flowing through us every time we take another one of those 12 steps and they combine that with another neurotransmitter specifically serotonin serotonin is responsible for regulating our emotional well-being um, and so they combine both control dopamine with serotonin by including a community aspect so the way that that helps is you know if somebody didn't complete the 12 steps they would most likely feel guilty or they might feel ashamed that they let their fellow members of the of the group down of that community because they didn't have the control to execute on that plan. So they combine that idea of planning thoughtfully and executing that thoughtful plan with having a community to support them in their well-being while their emotional well-being while taking part in that program. Now, cognitive behavioral therapy, it actually involves controlled dopamine to overcome our desires by trying to remove any and all cues that might trigger our desire. So that means that if someone was an alcoholic, they must throw away all their liquor, all their beer, whatever they have in terms of alcohol in their, in their house, as well as even the glasses that they use to drink those drinks from because even the sight of those glasses or whatever container that they use to consume their drinks, that is also a cue, that is also a trigger to then tell the brain, oh, it's time for me to pour a drink. And not to mention even remove any cues that lead to the pouring of a drink. And there was actually an example from a podcast that I recently listened to, uh, Finding Mastery podcast, where there was a man who used to close his blinds before he would pour himself a drink. So the therapist that he was working with told him, you know, we need to, you need to stop closing the blinds when you get home because that sign, that, action of closing the blinds was the prelude and the pre-signal to then pouring the fifth of vodka that that man used to drink. So it's really important if you're going to use control dopamine to your advantage, specifically through way of cognitive behavioral therapy, is to get rid of any and all cues or triggers that lead to the behavior that you're trying to change. And lastly, motivational enhancement therapy, it actually incorporates the form of 
controlled dopamine that involves the desire for a better future to overcome the desire for short-term gratifications. And essentially what that really means is the, you know, you must come up with a very well articulated plan to talk about and really state your desire for what you want your future to be. That way, when you start to experience or have some of those short-term desires that you want to engage in in that moment, you can then look back, whether it be physically or mentally, look back at your plan, your desire for a better future. That way you can make a more informed decision in that moment and use some of that willpower that you have to overcome your short-term gratifications. And now, just to kind of start wrapping some of this stuff up, I'll just kind of review some of the main points is that, again, you know, and to summarize, really dopamine is responsible for a lot of what we do in our lives, whether we know that or we, or we don't know that. Specifically, it's very responsible for the impulsive thoughts and behaviors that we engage on on a daily basis due to the fact that it only has a desired future in mind. It's not even focused at all in the present. Dopamine is all future-oriented. It is anything that's out of our reach. And it makes us want more of something, whatever that something might be, and it makes us want to pursue that more, whether it's more money, whether it's more sex, a better house, more assets, more friends. Dopamine is at the core of wanting more. It has a direct effect on our motivation and it directly affects the decisions we make as a result, right? If we're not motivated, chances are we don't have a whole lot of dopamine flowing through us. If we're highly motivated, there probably is a lot of dopamine flowing through us. And our motivations you know, and desires, they, they often overpower when we like something and when we want to use our willpower to overcome something in the short term. When we feel joy or disappointment, this is because there was actually a prediction error in the amount of dopamine that we were anticipating that would be released in the anticipation of something happening and the amount of dopamine that's actually released upon its occurrence. So. In order for us to optimize for a brighter future, we must use controlled dopamine to come up with well-thought-out plans so that we can have a much better future uh, in order to make that future happen. And that concludes part one of our three-part series about dopamine. Thank you to those that listened this afternoon or this evening or this morning whenever you tuned into this podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to engage in some learning about dopamine. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and continue to follow us on Anchor as well and the other platforms that we have the podcast, such as Spotify, uh, Google Play, and many more. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. You can check it out, Warden's Wisdom. Um, you can just type that into your search bar on Facebook and please give us a like and share anything, again, that resonates with you just because the whole purpose of this is to try to spread wisdom that is practical so that way people can improve their lives each and every single day just a little bit because that's that's all that, that really needs to happen each day in order to eventually amass large improvement. 
there's also a Twitter page. You can follow us at Warden's Wisdom. So wherever you find yourself on social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, there's also a Warden's Wisdom Instagram. You can find a lot of this type of content on any of those pages. And again, please feel free to like and share anything that resonates with you. Please subscribe to the podcast and you can also subscribe to our blog, uh, wardenswisdom.com. That way you can stay updated with not just podcasts, but all blog posts. Looking forward to hearing back from you. You can always leave me feedback in the comments section on podcasts as well as comment on any blog posts, whether it be on our WordPress blog or on any of our respective social media pages. So thank you again for listening, tuning in, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next time.